Hello and welcome to the Succession Easters, a brand new weekly podcast recapping and discussing the award-winning HBO TV show Succession. I'm Mike Munzer, a podcaster, producer and Succession obsessive. And I'm Anna Bogutska, a writer, broadcaster and Succession superfan. Last week for episode one, we discussed and recapped season one of this incredible show. So this week we move on to discuss in depth Season two of Succession. Have a drink, have a drink, you beautiful Ichabod Crane. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Well, I, I gotta say, well done. You won. Yeah. Yeah. Money wins. So we have rewatched this. We're rewatching all of Succession in advance of the fourth and final season airing at the end of March, which, as a reminder, we will be recapping episode by episode as the season airs. But for now, we're in season two. Arguably one of the greatest seasons of television that has ever been. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and just for any for listeners, we will be spoiling everything succession up until the end of season two. We will try to mince our words around anything that happens in season three, but there might be some foreshadowing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about rewatching succession is kind of seeing that theory that's been going on online for a while now that every season of succession is actually about one of the Roy kids, mm. that it centers a little bit more of them. And I really felt that Rewatching season two, season one was Kendall season. Yes. And season two very much feels like Shiv season. Yeah, I think that's true, right? And I know that a lot of people have that theory. It's kind of interesting, especially now that we know that the fourth season is the last and there are four Roy kids, right? So it almost works very neatly to think that will season four be about Connor? I don't know if that will actually be the case, but it kind of fits that theory, right? That each season is about one of the four Roy kids. And yeah, I think, you know... There is definitely more about Shiv in this season than Kendall, for example. And we talked about how season one was basically the rise and eventual fall of Kendall. And I guess we have the same kind of arc with Shiv here, don't we? Even more so, we have uh, somebody who starts off looking very hopeful, looking like she could be the new successor, the new boss. And it's kind of all gone to shit by the end of season two, hasn't it? You know, Absolutely. And it's, it's very much, I think both the both the rise in a way of Shiv Shiv as a Roy mm, you know mm-hmm. more than Shiv the outsider who has her her political career and her separate life to the family here she's fully in trying to embed herself she's invited in and we'll discuss the details of that later but it's also her moral decline like whatever grasp she had on I am morally above the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a liberal. I support the right causes. I am not aggressively and actively trying to ruin the state of American media yep. or, or literally murder people. Mm-hmm. That's all gone out the window because the things she does in this season absolutely put her in the gutter with the rest of her family. Completely agree. And I think it's funny, you know, we we always talk about Shakespeare with succession and, you know, obviously this show kind of follows a King Lear pattern, but there is also something of Macbeth about Shiv's story in season two. This idea that you're told at the beginning you're going to be king, you're going to be boss. And then the way that her being told that 
ruins her, essentially, you know, because she can't, for one thing, she can't wait to be announced as the new successor and then her announcing it herself and then everything she does following that is basically what causes her own downfall as well, right? Which is really interesting. Honestly, we talked about this in last episode. Shiva's so fucking dumb in this, in this season. She is. She makes she so makes many mistakes. So many stupid moves. <laughs> and there's even, you know, there's the realisation that she has mid-season after she makes one of her biggest faux pas that she is fucking up. So it's like someone who is smart enough to realise that they're fucking up, but not smart enough to know what moves to make. Yes. I still think she might be the smartest of the Roy kids, even though she's pretty fucking dumb. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating thing. But I think what's so brilliant about season two mm-hmm. is that they've realised that this show actually works best when you get all of the Roy family together in one place, I think. And um, like you said, Shiv is now very much entwined in the family business along with Logan and Roman. We also have Connor moving to New York and uh, him and Willa being a little bit more part of the action in this season too. And this season does this incredible thing where it sort of takes us from location to location at different kind of family events, right? Mm-hmm. And each episode is like this perfect little play almost. It's like yes. this perfect little Shakespearean tragedy in and of itself. We go to Hungary in episode three. We go to uh, we go to the Pierce household in episode five. We go to Argestes. We go to England, Scotland. We're on a yacht. And Every episode feels like a kind of bottle episode, but Mm -hmm. in a wonderful, grand, beautiful, dramatic way. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's the little dramas Mm -hmm. that move along the big overarching drama. So what would you say, you know, the, the arc, the narrative arc for season one is pretty clear. What would you say is the overall narrative arc for this season? I would say the, the the really fun sort of thrust of this season is essentially Logan is in quite a lot of sort of deep water in this season because he's facing this kind of hostile takeover from Sandy and Stewie that was set up in season one. That is still lingering over him. And then on top of that, we have the big uh, the big cruise scandal that comes out in the press as well. Logan feels like the only way he can get out of this is to buy his kind of rival news network, PGM, which is essentially CNN, right? Mm-hmm. It's essentially the kind of like liberal version. If if, if uh, ATN is Fox, PGM is CNN. And so what we get throughout a lot of season two is him attempting to kind of form an alliance and then buy out this other news network run by this, the kind of like mirror opposite of the Roy family, although not really the Pierce family, right? This other dynasty. the old money liberal media elite. Yeah, exactly. They are the liberal, quote-unquote liberal version Mm -hmm. of the Roy family. CEO Raya as well, a really interesting character who we'll talk about, and the kind of matriarch of this family, Nan, who is sort of the kind of the, the mirror opposite of Logan in a way. And there are all these parallels between these two families and essentially as soon as Logan has to kind of Um, entwine himself within this other rich dynasty family, it starts to tear apart the Roys in different ways, right? And I think watching that play out across season two with this other family is some of my favourite stuff in all of Succession. It's so good. So while season one is really about the the decision of who will succeed Logan Mm -hmm. and whether Logan is fit to, to still rule. Yeah. Season two really is we're seeing Logan in full action for the first time ever. We're actually seeing him do business. Yes. He's recovered. He's not really that concerned with the succession plan. All of that is ploys 
because yes. his actual business is at risk by forces that are outside of his own family. Yeah, exactly. He's he's not. It, it feels less of the focus this time round as to who's the successor. Of course, that's the only thing that the kids care about, particularly Shiv and Roman. Um, there is still this obsession of and uh, who is going to take over, and they feel very, very threatened by Holly Hunter's character Raya as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, there are suddenly these new threats to them and their and their kind of succession plans. So that is still going on with the kids, but it's almost at the back of Logan's mind, right? Yeah. He's got bigger fish to fry in this season. Yeah, totally. So shall we start with our character arcs with? Logan. Mm, mm-hmm. I think we should. Yeah, yeah, I think we should because, like you say, we really see Logan more in his in his classic role of of the boss, of the leader, of the of the patriarch, of the CEO, trying to do business deals. And I think a lot this season we see him try and fail things. We see him really break down. Um, we see him get very very angry. We see him fail. I think quite a few times, and we see him sort of not as the most powerful figure in the room a lot of the Mm -hmm. time because he's having to sort of suck up to the Pierce family and to Nan. He's having to kind of bend the knee in a way a few more times than we've ever had to see him do before as well. So I think there's some really interesting Logan moments in this season. Yeah, and we really see, especially with the with the attempted Pierce acquisition, we see Logan's way of doing business and mm. how outdated it is. Yes. That he is literally a bulldozing dinosaur that tries to come in, throw money at stuff and yell at people and tell people to fuck off. Yes. And then that should sort it out. Mm-hmm. But one of the most aggravating moments in the entire season for me was between Logan and Nan in Agrestes when she finally knocks back the deal and says absolutely no go and fires Rhea Jarrell to boot as well all in one scene and Logan is so humiliated he literally runs after her yelling at her car door it is so undignified and so desperate you turn this down and you're fucking your whole family oh i think my family will be fine but thank you for your concern let's go hey wait we haven't finished we haven't fucking finished do you hear me we haven't hey stop 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 it kind of goes against all the this grand media mogul image that we had of Logan. Mm. He is so dominated by his own anger and by his own like inability to deal with rejection. And I think his strategies kind of aren't really working that well anymore because he, same as Shiv, um, fucks up in some really key moments. His little explosive moment towards Marsha during the, the Pierce and Roy dinner absolutely bad move mm-hmm. his inability to close the deal early enough like all this bluster and all this aggression just doesn't really end up closing the deal in the way that he thought he, he probably could back in the day mm-hmm. and he also can't really trust the people around him <laughs> yeah. i mean one of the most fun things is kind of seeing all the his closest and and you know dearest probably not the right <laughs> word choice for logan Roy, but his closest confidence on the yacht when they're deciding kind of you know who they're going to sacrifice. Like, everyone is kind of incompetent in a suck-up and just trying to protect themselves. And you can see, that that is also just bad leadership. That is surrounding yourself with snakes who will never be objective and Mm -hmm. who will never actually try to 
look out for the business.、Mm-hmm. They're only looking out for their own interests. Absolutely, yeah. He he knows he's surrounded by snakes, doesn't he? There are a few lines where he actually sort of yells that this series because he thinks people are betraying him、yeah. and leaking things. And you're right, you know. And this is the crux of the whole show, I suppose. But it's really apparent in season two that Logan is really backed into a corner this season with court hearings and scandals and and money problems and people trying to take over. And he can't rely on any of his own family. In fact, maybe arguably one of the people he does sort of trust most, Marsha, he fucks up with, as you said, and she leaves、yes. him. And and that is one of the few moments of almost humanity that we see in Logan that he actually seems to genuinely quite miss Marsha when、mm-hmm. she leaves him as well. I love that Marsha does just up and leave him.、Brilliant. Oh, Marsha is absolutely savage. Like, what a Marcia hero! Marsha will fucking cut you. Yeah. If you annoy her, and even the way that she deals, you know, with his sort of indiscretion with Rhea. Yeah. Like the thing that bothers her and propels her to leave is not the fact that you know he sleeps with Rhea Jarrell. I don't、mm. think she really cares about that.、Mm. It's the fact that he was asking her for advice. Yes, that he was. He was confiding a, in her. Yes,、yeah. he was seeking her counsel instead of Marsha's, even with business matters. That is the thing that he breaks so carelessly, especially after season one, where Marsha was the only one who was genuinely、mm-hmm. looking after him and protecting him from his like vultures kids. Yes, yes, and also you know weirdly enough, the、um, maybe this is a good point as well to move into Kendall. Uh, our number one boy, he kind of confides in Kendall mainly because he knows he has Kendall over a barrel. Yeah, no, completely, completely, and 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 actually, just one more thing on Logan. I think also we see him at his most brutal this season. I think more than we've seen him in season one. Even like I think maybe because he feels backed into a corner, he feels ganged up on sometimes. You see him really at his nastiest. Even in episode one, when he. Really nastily fires that guy after he finds like the raccoon in his chimney. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See,、uh, I think it's episode two, is it, or episode three in Hungary with the boar on the floor? Like one of the most infamous moments of cruelty and bullying that we see from Logan, and he is. Extra mean and aggressive through this season, I think, towards everyone. You know,、oh, and、yeah. again, I think it's because he feels threatened, right? And even the way that he is aggressively and explicitly mean to Shiv, even after、yes. grooming her to come in,、mm-hmm. the way that he badmouths her behind her back. You know, he says, "Oh, Shiv runs hot. She she will make up a boogeyman from the." Pile of clothes that's on her bedroom floor, yes. Or the way that he dismisses her and shushes her、mm-hmm. constantly. Not just the the overall、uh, fucking around that he does with her by offering her and then taking away the offer of the CEO position, but. He really he's he's publicly mean to her in a way that we've never seen him be before. Yeah, exactly. And again, you just don't trust anything that he says in terms of actually wanting to pass the business on to Shiv. You know, like you feel like because of all this cruise situation and everything else, you feel like he's coming up with a clever strategy to maybe put a woman at the top while it suits him.、Right? Oh well, I I have a I have thoughts on that、mm. when we come to Shiv. Okay.、Yes. Okay. All right. That's interesting. So yeah, Logan not in a good place. Maybe at His most aggressive and defensive this season、mm-hmm. overall, right? Kendall. Okay.、Oh, <laughs> so as we saw at the end of、Sweetie. at the end of season one, Kendall had that tragic thing happen where he was embroiled in the death of a boy who he basically let die and then kept secret. Logan knew that about him, and now he's kind of using that、uh, to kind of essentially control Kendall. And so 
Where do we see Kendall in season two? So Kendall is at his worst. Mm-hmm. He's hitting rock bottom. He's back on drugs pretty yeah. regularly. We don't see him with his kids or with Rava at all this season. No. Very much isolated from that. He is completely decimated as a human being. And at the towards the start of the season, he does these little petty things. You know, like he goes, uh, he... Um, shoplifts some small things like lighters and batteries and things like that then throws them away he goes up to the roof of the Wayside Road Code Tower just to look at the at the view and possibly you know contemplate um, throwing himself off of yeah. there but bit by bit all those little things are also observed and they're cut off from him so mm. he's completely neutered of any sense of independence yeah. even the way that Jeremy Strong plays him and modulates his voice he speaks slower his head is always his head is always down he's always looking down he's so servile he'll yeah. you know, offer to make drinks for his dad he won't even try to um, you know bring in any business elements or anything like that he's forced to gut and shut down Volter which was his baby acquisition mm-hmm. that we saw at the beginning of season one and he gets spit in the face and he literally like nothing matters he's plucked out of rehab in the very first episode (sighs) and told to just parrot these things about why the the bear hug Mm -hmm. uh went sour why he why he left that he's a husk of a human being yeah yeah completely where he ends and we will talk extensively i'm sure about the final about the final Mm. scene in season two is is slowly at the very, very end, I think it takes him the entire season to sort of claw his way back into a semblance of what he used to be. Now, what he used to be isn't that great to begin with. <laughs> no. But it's definitely at least a personality, a personhood. Because for most of the season, Kendall is literally devastated. Yeah. And the most devastating moments for me was when he's actually actively and openly asking other people in his family for any any semblance of humanity when he breaks down in front of Shiva and asks for a hug, when he tries to talk to his mother, Lady Caroline, Jesus Christ, and gets rejected by her, not once but twice in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. There's literally no one to talk to. No, he's got this horrible secret hanging over him that is is killing him for it's like killing his soul from the inside out, right? And you're right, he has to keep it a secret. He desperately wants to tell his family about it like you say heartbreaking one of the few genuinely emotional heartbreaking moments when he breaks down and cries on Shiv's shoulder and even Shiv shows a glimmer of humanity there when she sort of goes oh there is genuinely something wrong with Kendall at this moment but they never really take it any further from there yeah, like you say, the mum wants nothing to do with him. It's he's a he's a wounded puppy throughout this mm. whole season, isn't he? The only time he shows any kind of confidence or aggression is at the request of his dad, like when yes. he has to fire people at Volta or when he he yells at those people on the private jet who aren't doing their job fast enough because Logan's told him to kick them up the arse. Basically, or when he's accusing Roman of trying to mess up the Pierce deal in the bore on the floor yes. episode. Yes, 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 and wrestles his phone out mm-hmm. of his hand. Yeah, it's true. Like that, he is so 
subservient to Logan to the point where in some ways it 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 does him in better stead he he's so loyal to Logan throughout this Logan then ends up sort of trusting Kendall over everyone else right um so it's that funny thing of of him kind of losing all of the power sort of in some ways gives him a bit more power than his siblings throughout this season because he's Logan's little right-hand man little minion essentially yes. and this this tells us a lot of as well about Logan because what he demands is absolute submission yes exactly like he wants no thoughts mm-hmm. just execution of whatever he orders to be done yes no consideration no talk back nothing mm-hmm. and for people to behave as savagely as he needs them to in that moment and he can still discard them at any point that's the deal with Logan or throw them under the bus or sacrifice them if he needs to right as we see at the end but yeah you're right you know like there is this and I think what's really interesting as well is is trying is seeing the other uh, Roy kids trying to figure out exactly what's going on with Kendall because they don't know what happened at the end of season one the last thing they knew was that he was about to force this bear hug on mm-hmm. his dad and this hostile takeover and then all of a sudden he's like Logan's little pet right hand man and they're like what is going on why hasn't dad fired him why hasn't he you know killed him essentially and uh, they're really confused as to what exactly is happening and why Kendall is suddenly this like weak subservient wounded puppy and this kind of boils throughout the whole season doesn't it this kind of bubbles over it's really really interesting but yeah Kendall is great he has less to do in this season he's very sad but Jeremy Strong is still brilliant I think he does have he does have a few flings though he does doesn't he a sex magnet like Kendall Roy yeah <laughs> yes yes well he yeah he meets his kind of uh, his his kind of parallel in the Pierce family doesn't he and they oh, have a, a, another kind of drug addict and they have a kind of potentially quite harmful fling in a way because they kind of are you know uh, encouraging mm-hmm. each other's addictions but uh, but yeah we do we do get to see him uh, have a few flings but it all feels like he is sort of self-destructing a little bit doesn't it yeah he's very much in a downward spiral Spiral. Mm. As a Shiv, who I think we'll talk about in a bit, but someone who seems to be on the up and up is Roman. Yeah, kind of slowly and gradually, right? I think what's really interesting is that I think at the beginning, as a kind of placeholder, Logan names him and Kendall sort of joint chief operating officers, doesn't he? Yes, he he does. Co-chief operating officers. And then Jerry kind of gives him a bit of advice, gives Roman a bit of advice and says, why don't you go and do some training, you know, show your dad that you're making the effort. And we see there's some really great episodes when Roman has to go on like training courses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and kind of learn how to be a better businessman, a better manager and all of that. And you're right, you know, I think Roman is kind of slightly under the radar compared to his brother and sister in this in this season, but he's kind of slowly learning, slowly getting better at what he does, right? And slowly becoming a little bit more favourable in his dad's eyes mm. as well. Yeah, He's the only one who I think his insecurity is playing in his favour in this season. Right. Because Kendall's insecurity leads him to substance abuse. Shiv's insecurity uh, leads to her being arrogant and making mistakes that are very obvious, that she herself would say are very obvious and dumb. Whether it's Roman's insecurity, his, you know, brand as the fuck up of the family, the weird little pervert of the Roys, means that he's actually, he doesn't see himself as being above 
doing some of the legwork. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. the, the management tra- training thing is something that Logan recommends to Shiv as well. But she goes she like, refuses. absolutely, fuck that. That's yeah. way too long. I'm ready now. I She's can do this. She's too proud. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's like, Roman goes. Yeah, he's going to be surly and weird during the entire process, but he'll still go. Mm-hmm. And when he's given the kind of the dirty business of like, you know, going to do this or going to do this other thing or like schmoozing that person, he'll still do it. And eventually, you know, he... He does sort of not redeem himself, but he positions himself in a different way in front of Logan when he goes to Turkey. Yeah. And there's that big, you know, whether they're getting um, attacked or possibly kidnapped or whatnot. But he he snoops, he sniffs out a possible deal, a possible way. But he also is smart enough to say when everybody else is saying that Logan should go with it, he's like, no, I don't think this is right. Mm. I think they're going to flake and I think this is going to kill us and it's not good for the company medium or long term that is a good eye that is someone who instead of serving entirely his own interest is thinking a few steps ahead of himself we've never seen Roman think a few steps ahead or about anything other than himself so this really redeems him in Logan's eyes so he's sort of in the background doing stuff yeah but actually in a in terms of Waystar being weirdly efficient. Yeah. And he also makes a strategic alliance with Jerry. Yeah. The rockstar and the mole woman. We love I mean, this is the this is the relationship that we all love the most, right? Jerry and Roman. Yeah. Absolutely love these two. Yeah, he forms this kind of alliance with her. He's always had this sort of a Roman version of respect for Jerry, mm-hmm. it feels like, right? You even see that in season one. Obviously, he's rude and mean and gross to her a lot of the time as well, but you can see that there is this sort of respect. He he likes her and sort of follows her around a lot, and I think she's aware of this too, right? And she's kind of using it to her advantage. And they start this sort of sexual relationship, right? In this, where essentially she is incredibly rude and insulting to him, and he gets off on it literally yeah. right and there are these brilliant sequences him wanking while she shouts at him over the phone or him wanking while she shouts at him through a bathroom door <laughs> there's she, a lot of roman wanking it's just a lot of roman <laughs> wanking and it's brilliant it 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 really sort of because i love jerry and i sort of root for jerry and i'm like yeah go jerry she knows what she's doing right and she's so careful with what she does because she's never doing anything that can actually be implicated as an affair in any mm-hmm. way she could play ignorant to this and just mm-hmm. say she's just having a go at Roman for being useless or a pervert or whatever but she knows full well what she's doing right yeah absolutely yeah. and also you know Jerry is incredibly uh, she functions on self-preservation yeah. so she will always protect herself and her interests but also she's always had this rapport with Roman and you know and this whole subplot you know arose because of the, the real life kind of fun flirtation that was going on between Jay Cameron Smith and and uh, Kieran Culkin, they've known each other for years because I think Kieran was in a play that Jay Cameron Smith's partner, Kenneth Lonergan, had put on. So they knew each other from for years and years and years. And that's something that the writers observed on the set of the first season and they worked it into the second season. I love it. So it it. comes from like an organic rapport that they have. Mm -hmm. And and we get so much about Roman sexuality in this season. He even even telegraphs it to Tabitha, his girlfriend, who seems very cool, Mm -hmm. really fun to hang out with. And they definitely like have a a good rapport, but it's an entirely sexist relationship that she doesn't really mince words around. And he even, he tries to make her pretend to be a corpse so they can have sex. (laughs) 
And yeah. he literally telegraphs. It's like I just need, I just need it to be wrong, and then if it's wrong, it sort of isn't wrong anymore. And you know, to quote Roman, it's basic boner arithmetic. Yeah, and, and, and Jerry the- just gets it. She doesn't need that explaining. She understands Roman's particular, you yeah. know, kink. And and this, like, there's no conversation about. It. He gets so uncomfortable when he actually has to. He explain doesn't want to talk about talk. it. No. He just needs it to happen. Yeah. And I he know. knows when it's right. It's so funny because I remember thinking, we didn't really discuss this with season one, but I remember thinking in season one, there was a question of, of, of Roman's sexuality, you know, the fact that he wouldn't have sex with his partners. I remember thinking during season one, oh, is, he, is it just going to turn out that he's gay or something like that? But then, of course, no, it's this, it's this other thing where he has these very, very particular kinks that are revealed in season two. And actually, we do get a lot more humanity, weirdly, from Roman in mm-hmm. season two. You know, like this element is a really interesting insight emotionally into Roman. We know that he had a bit of a fucked up upbringing. We know that he was maybe the bullied victim of the Roy kids by his siblings and definitely by Logan. Um, there is an episode in season two it's season two isn't it when he hits Roman as well he hits Roman so hard that his teeth some teeth fall out yeah Roman loses a tooth and the way that Roman reacts to it he just sort of kind of shrugs it off and doesn't care Kendall sticks up for him and almost hits his own dad in in defence it's a moment of Kendall actually but also remember even in season one there when there was a whole discussion about the cage Mm, the dog cage in which mm -hmm. he was put as a kid uh, both Ken and Connor were like, no, you liked it. You asked to be put in the cage. Yeah. And we didn't give you dog food. We gave you something that looked like dog food because you wanted that. Yeah. So those hints at Roman's, you know, humiliation kings were always there. Totally. They were always there. And so we learn a little bit more about that, which does humanize Roman a little bit more than we've seen before. Mm. And there were these other little moments of humanity with Roman in season two, like when he goes on that training course and he makes a little friend right and obviously he's rude and nasty to him most of the time but then at the end he kind of recommends him right for like a fast track and at the end everything that he goes through in Turkey he seems genuinely a bit kind of emotionally scarred by that which you would be in the final episode and there's a moment when he says to his siblings on the boat like can we just be normal with each other and they completely dismiss it and mock him for it and later you know when all the talk is happening of of Kendall being the blood sacrifice he suddenly seems genuinely concerned he's like we're not actually going to sacrifice Kendall are we and he's been so nasty to Kendall throughout the whole season up until that point and he's also the only one in that conversation on the yard the only one who protects Jerry and says one of the most obvious points ever it's like yeah in a scandal where we've actually killed women we're gonna kill the only female senior executive that we have yeah, it's true. It's logical, right? It's yeah. logical. And that's obviously not the only reason why he's defending Jerry. <laughs> but yes, he's sticking up for people. He's he's being somewhat loyal towards people that he loves in this season. And and we're finding out a little bit about his own little niche sexual kinks. I think he's, he's kind of shining through as maybe one of the more human, compassionate Roy siblings in and this season. And there shall be no king shaming of, of Roman Roy or anyone else in the Successionistas. Absolutely Good not. Good for him. Good for Roman, we support it, especially him and Jerry and everything they've got going on. Love it. It's a great little relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. You know, kind of under the radar in a low-key way, Roman has a pretty good season two. Yeah. 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 He's growing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, when we get to season three, you know, not to not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I, I do think that that's kind of Roman season. Yeah. So yeah. we get a bit more of him. Mm-hmm. But this second season, like I said at the start, feels very much like Shiv's. Yes. This is her downfall, in a way. 
So when we so when we start with her, she's still working with Gil Evis, the senator that has prospects of becoming the new president of the United States and who aggressively hates Logan Roy and is making going after the, after him, after Logan, after his company, kind of the cornerstone of his political campaign. Yeah. But Shiv also gets very openly offered the top job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, behind closed doors, right? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. So Logan kind of offers it to her in secret. She's over the moon about it. Can't wait to tell people. I think one episode later, she tells Tom and confides in him. But he tells her this, and then everything just seems to pause. And she is like, "What's happening? What's happening? Am I actually? Did that actually happen? Did we have that conversation? Did you tell me I was the was new CEO? Was it real? Mm-hmm. Because he then just kind of treads water and doesn't follow it up, and." This just absolutely kills Shiv, doesn't it? You know, like there are these moments when she wants to brag about it to her siblings mm-hmm. and she can't. And eventually it all comes to a head at the Pierce household when uh, Nan is like, look, if we're going to even consider doing this kind of partnership or having you buy us out, we need to know who your successor is going to be. Who is the future of Waystar? And uh, Logan does his usual kind of vague, not really answering the question. And then Shiv just blurts out, come on, Dad, just just tell her it's me. And everything just, the, the moment just of awkwardness. Amateur. Oh, look, I have to ask. The internal differences, have they been smoothed over? Oh, very much so. And any thought given to, to whom you might hand over the keys? Uh, there is a name. But, you know... I really don't like to deal in hypotheticals. Mm. He's an enigma. Just whisper it in my ear. You know, I'll start to think I'm not wanted. This is, you can... Well, you know... Oh, for fuck's sake, Dad, just tell him it's gonna be me. Is that so? That is so. I mean, it's funny because in some ways you can sort of see where Shiv's coming from because Shiv is the one member of the royal family who I think Nan and the Pierce is kind of respect, maybe? Yeah, because she's she's sort of a, on their political spectrum. Yes. She's more of a liberal. Um, and because she's worked outside of the company. Mm-hmm. So you'd think it would kind of behoove Logan to sort of say Shiv is the new so boss. So this is my question to you. I have a theory about this. Yeah. Do you think... Logan ever truly intended to give the company to Shiv? No. I think he never... No, absolutely not. In the same way that he never probably intended to give it to Kendall at the beginning of season one either. I think he still is trying to figure out very, very slowly who he can trust with his company. And I think it just suited him at that time in season two, while this scandal is going on and everything else, that Shiv is the perfect person for now to have on his side. And also it meant that Shiv left Gil and came over to him. You know, like he got rid of Gil completely as an enemy sort of thing. I agree. Um, I think I do think he did intend to offer Ken the company and then got cold feet because he realized Ken was not a killer Yeah, through yeah, a couple yeah. of sneaky sort of mini tests. But I do think that with Shiv, and this is why it's so devastating, that was a move mm. and she was blinded by her own hubris and couldn't see it. He wanted to get rid of Gil. He wanted to um, essentially defang her. Yeah. He wanted to get her in the same servile position as the other kids. Yeah. And... If he was going after the Pierce uh, family and uh, to acquire their company, he needed essentially someone who looked good yes. for now. Exactly. So he was using he was using the fact that she was the only woman in the Roy clan. Yeah. 
as to tentatively position her in that role, but never in front of other people, never officially. And also he was, you know, considering that he put Roman Roy as the chief operating officer with like no experience and no skills. um, He was then, even if he did at any point intend to maybe at some point give it to Shiv, or at least to keep her occupied by training her up, he was saying that she would need to train up for years, which I'm not saying you don't need to do if you're going to be a chief executive of a massive media conglomerate. Totally. But he's not done that with any of the kids, with any of his sons. No, exactly. And I think as much as it suited him to kind of name Shiv as a successor, I don't think he believes that a woman could ever do this job as well. Like, and I, you know, there there are lines that he mentions, I can't remember if this is in season three, but he sort of, in his head, no one will, res- the board and other people won't respect a woman at the top like they will a man, you know? And, and I think there is this feeling too that he just, yeah, he would never give it to somebody like Shiv, you know? He does give it to Rhea though. Well, that's true. He does. Is he because just Rhea, Rhea proves herself to be a killer. Mm-hmm. She's more. She's more ruthless, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And also, he. You know, he gets beaten by several women in this season. He gets well on the personal level. He gets dumped by Marsha. Yes. Because she's like, I'm not taking any of this shit. Yes. He gets uh, beaten by Nan. Hears. Mm-hmm. She rejects his offer. And he humiliates himself in front of her. And he gets dumped by Rhea Jarrell as well, professionally and personally. She leaves. It's such a brilliant moment as well, because it's the one thing that Logan can't get his way is that she actually has some semblance of morals. Like, not mo- not much. She's still ruthlessly ambitious. She's still a killer. But ultimately, it comes down to Rhea saying, I don't think you care about anything what does she say? She says she something says, like, I can't see I the can't bottom. I can't see the bottom of the pool and I don't know if you care about anything and that scares me. Yeah. And, and, and you know, so eventually Rhea does say the thing that no one else has said in this show, which is like, I, you, you literally have no soul. I can't do this. I can't be you in this scenario, you know? So this brings us to probably one of my favourite moments in the season, mm. which is... The task that Logan gives Rhea and Shiv of going to talk to Kira, the whistleblower of the whole cruiser scandal, just before she's due to testify in front of the, the, the in front of Congress. And they're talking about this in the car and Rhea's like, I'm so upset that he's given us this role and Shiv says, yeah, absolutely. This is some like nonsense lady shit business. Mm. They're upset for different reasons. Yes. And at the very last moment, Rhea, she has a line in the sand that is a moral line in the sand. Yeah. And she goes, I, I cannot do this because this is this is wrong yeah. on a bigger level than just business. And Shiv goes through with this. And actually, I wrote several pages about this in my book because it is this moment of Shiv any sort of idea of liberal or goodness that we had seen in her in season one goes completely out the window because this was already in her. She doesn't fully sacrifice it for the top job. She's ready to do this dirty work. She does these maneuvers, you know, where she takes off her shoes, mm-hmm. you know, she sits down with her, she does these fake assurances of of trust by also telling her that she shouldn't trust her. It's it's all very shiv, I'm just she's just like us. She's not. 
She's a shark. And she's manipulating this woman out of testifying against the company because that's what suits her. There was absolutely no intention to make any amends. Mm -hmm. She doesn't see this woman as a real person either. She is a ploy. Mm -hmm. She's a pawn. And it's devastating to watch because this is the moment from where Shiv can never go back. Yeah. She can never go back and have a life that is outside of Waystar Roiko because she's sacrificed the entirety of her soul for this company that she's not even technically employed by either. Yeah, yeah. This is the moment when she's sort of fully, fully sold her soul, hasn't she? And and yet you think that, like you said, that has always been in her. It's very easy and effortless, isn't it, for her to sit down with that woman and basically talk her down from testifying about sexual abuse. Like, it's really, it's a really dark moment. And you're so right. What an interesting, pivotal moment that is where Rhea goes one way, Shiv goes the other. Rhea mm-hmm. gets herself out and she ends this season and her arc by sort of coming out of this whole thing with a bit of dignity, really, where yeah. she's like, she's, she's won, essentially. Like, she She's done the thing that none of her kids have managed, which is to actually be named Logan Roy's successor. And she turns it down. Mm-hmm. And because says, it's a poison chalice. Yes, and knows that it's such a poison chalice. And there's nothing Logan can do about that. Like, she dumps him and that's it. He's left powerless, whereas Shiv is still doing absolutely anything she can to win over Logan and come out on top, you know. It's and- a vicious circle because he both demands that she is a killer, but also does not respect does not cannot fully respect anyone who submits so fully to him. He does demand it. Yeah. But then when it happens, he doesn't respect it. No, exactly. Like, you know, we've already talked about Kendall, but the way that Kendall just completely submits himself to Logan. Logan likes that, but Logan would never respect him to make him CEO in this mm-hmm. season, right? He's just a minion. Exactly. Shiv is kind of the opposite, where she's she's so aggressive and so out there throughout this season that he loses more and more respect for her as it goes on, doesn't he? He tells her to fuck off at one point in the season. Exactly. And you get the sense that maybe because she is the only daughter, she's the only one who has a nickname. You know, he calls her Pinky. Yeah. He doesn't have that sort Sort of gentle nickname for any of his other kids. It's the other way around. He calls Roman Romulus. It's more yes. formal, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, that when he starts essentially telling her to fuck off, that's when you know that that relationship is also broken. Yeah. And the only scene when Shiv actually asks him something as his daughter instead of as his subject yeah. is when she asks him to not fire Tom. Yes. And also, it's the only moment when we actually see Shiv treat Tom with any kind of respect in this season. Or with any kind of kindness. My God, like, poor Tom. We should talk about Tom in a minute, right? But Shiv and Tom's marriage is sort of has hit rock bottom by the finale, right, on the the yacht. Mm -hmm. And again, Shiv just showing that brutality and that meanness even more this season than she showed in season one, right? To everyone, but but even to Tom, the, the moment again with the blood sacrifice discussion around the table, she's more than happy to kind of throw Tom mm-hmm. throw Tom to the sharks, I mean, at least at least publicly. And then, of course, like you say, behind closed doors, she pleads with Logan to save Tom. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's, to be fair, it does make sense for Tom to take the fall for the scandal. Because of cruises, but but uh, you know, to your to your point, you're absolutely right. Like there is, and I think this is just another showing of the part of Shiv that is her downfall is mm. that she thinks, and Rhea Jarrell points this out when she's talking to to Logan. It's so obvious to everyone except Shiv. Yes. She thinks she's smarter than everyone else, which. Get, gives her so many blind spots. Mm-hmm. She thinks that she can manipulate Tom. She thinks that she can manipulate Logan. She thinks that she can ma- manipulate Rhea. Like, everyone is dumber than her. Yes. 
which means that she commits so many stupid decisions because she simply cannot see how anyone else might be making moves aground or against her either. Yeah. She gets blindsided by Rhea Jarrell and then clocks to the thought that, you know, oh, she's also in this game. She's also making moves and does the one smart thing that she does is actually recommend Rhea for CEO, knowing that she's getting a poison chalice yeah, yeah, at yeah. that particular moment in time. That's the only smart move that Shiv does this entire season. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? She just underestimates everyone and overestimates herself, basically. Yes. And awful, then gets awful. fucked over by it. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> funny, isn't it? And, you know, I do, and this is the, the genius of this show, is that I'm always changing who my sympathies lie with. And I really... You know, you know, Tom is so reprehensible at times, the way he treats Greg and other people. But I do feel sorry for Tom a little bit in this season, you know, his marriage with Shiv and the way he's treated because of cruises, the way he's thrown to the lions, the court hearing and his disastrous, oh cringeworthy testimony in the court hearing to everything that happens on the boat to their sort of wanting to have a threesome and then him not wanting to have a threesome. What is that line he says to her on the beach at the end when he's like, sometimes I wonder if I'd be less unhappy without you than I would be with you or something like that, yeah. right? And it's like, there's I no... I wonder if the kind of sad that I am with you is... That's it. ...is more than the kind of sad that I would be without you. And there's no... there's So there's no possibility of happiness. It's just, will this sad be less sad than this other mm-hmm. sad, right? And that is the place where Tom is at. And there's even these little moments where I'm like, oh, poor Tom, like, when they have a dinner together with um, Roman and Tabitha and suddenly they all start ganging up on Tom and his like boxy suits that he wears yes. and that kind of thing and Tom and just goes to fuck off. yeah Shiv fuck off and yeah. it's, it's great good for him good for him but yeah. it's really getting to him isn't it he's he's very victimised in this season I there's think there's a lot of humiliation of Tom Wamscans in this season yeah. even by the person he's punching down on even by Greg yes who Greg suddenly is on the up <laughs> gets a little backbone yeah. out of nowhere yeah. and is too good to be you know using people as footstalls and hanging out with fascists yeah and working at atn he's too good for that yeah so like even even greg wanting out even greg trying his little blackmailing moves Mm. before aligning himself with kendall for the finale like there's people are kind of you know people never really took tom seriously but now they're just using him as a patsy even the way that he is and it's not very clear people i don't think people just didn't really give that much of a shit about prepping him Mm. and kind of downplayed the importance of things for him because they wanted him to be goofy and silly but his uh his interview in congress is one of the most humiliating scenes of the season yeah i think it is. It's up there, isn't it? Along with one of the bits that makes me cringe the most, going back to Roman, is Roman saying he read a book and making up the title and oh then them looking it up. It was one of the most cringeworthy things I've ever seen. But yes, that Tom court hearing is up there as well. And we should say, so Tom's kind of arc, really, mm. this season is that he is made head of ATN, right? At the exact worst moment imaginable. So he is made boss of ATN. Um, while, and he has, to, he has to kind of work with Sid, um, who's yeah, this who's new this really character. hardened, a new producer who says you know oh I get one of you suits every couple of months yes. it's fine just don't get in my way yes um, he has this uh, this news reporter what's his name the fascist the, the, Raven Ravenhead Ravenhead yeah. is it Ravenhead this this news anchor who is a literal white supremacist who like neo-nazi names his dog after after Hitler also gets married uh, somewhere Hitler related has read Mein Kampf a couple of a times a couple of times one of my favourite scenes yeah. is Tom asking him all that stuff in yeah. that interview have you 
ever read Mein Kampf? Um, a couple of he says a couple of times that Tom's like, "What did you did you miss a couple of things first time <laughs> round?" Like, it's so so good. So poor Tom, he's gone from cruises, which was like this the worst place you can be, to mm. ATN, which is you know this horrible immoral place with white supremacists and other things. And even Greg is like, "I don't think I can work at ATN, Tom. I don't think I can do this. I'm kind of really against ATN." Um, so yeah, Tom is really handed the poison chalice throughout this season, isn't he? In multiple ways, he 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 has he goes through the whole bore on the floor humiliation at the beginning of the season like we just see him get humiliated and punched over and over and over and over again the basically the moment of comeuppance that Tom Wamsgans has the season is when he walks up to Logan on the yacht sits down and without a single word eats his chicken <laughs> off the plate Logan's like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) What's he going to do next? Put his cock in my soup? (laughs) So good. So, so good. And like, it it kind of, it's so silly and it's so Mm. OTT, but it really shows the sense of like, well, what can he do? He can't really do anything. He's married into his family and being married into his family offers him so much protection and access. And, you know, if Tom ever wrote a book, it would be, it probably should be called Failing Upwards with Tom Wamskas because he just keeps getting promoted (laughs) Because his wife asks her dad to promote him to, oh, you know, what what could Tom do that isn't really a job? Yeah. yeah. You know, and also we do see this savage side of him, Mm. especially when they need to they need to do something or show that they're doing something at ATN. Mm -hmm. And Greg says that they might be able to fire people. And he gets he literally is he's his mouth is water. He's like, (laughs) how many skulls? 50 skulls? That's so many skulls. Yeah. He's like getting a boner at the idea of firing people. Like he is he is not a nice man. Oh, so not. like I mean no one is on succession. But there is this sense of like desperation where it's like, okay, I think I've reached a, a high enough point that I'm actually at risk of certain things. Mm. And also my hands are kind of tied because he himself has nothing. Yes. All he does is play games. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. It- <laughs> And we, and then he has, like you say, Greg, his little whipping boy. Greg ends up blackmailing him because we saw, as we saw in season one, Greg was uh, keeping copies of all these documents mm-hmm. to do with the cruises. Tom is sort of impressed by this, right? Yeah, yeah. Tom is like, you little snake, yeah. you know, like really impressed by Greg's blackmailing. But yeah, even Greg has got something over on him in this Can season. Can we just discuss the fact that Tom sent Greg 67 emails in one day? 67 <laughs> emails in 24 hours amazing what's so special about the hours between 3 a.m and 5 a.m on this tuesday it is the only period where you weren't bombarding this man's inbox so good it's so good yeah as ever the tom greg dynamic remains brilliant throughout this season and greg is figuring out exactly what he's doing with himself in this season right so he's sort of he's sort of thriving but then he's a little bit he's a little bit nervous about the fact that uh, his grandfather is going to cut him off from his will and he has to kind of make a decision do I fully immerse myself in the evil empire of the Roy family and and, and not even have my grandfather's inheritance as a backup anymore. Well, he kind of does. He even has a go at Logan yeah. during the, the hearings where he just storms in and is like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh no, I think I've, I've just lost a quarter of a billion dollars for this guy. <laughs> and he gets obviously slapped back and yeah. sent out like a petulant child. But, you know, Greg is kind of a petulant child. Completely. Like, he is a little sneak, but much like everyone else, he, I don't think he has any particular ambitions. He just no. wants to have money, 
and have an a, an apartment to house himself. Oh my god! <laughs> is this the, is it season two when he's like he's testing out that one apartment where he yep. like can barely sit in the bed because of the low ceiling and he's so tall? Like exactly. I love all the physical gags with tall Greg yeah. as well. It's yeah. so good, so good. And also the pairing of him towards the end with Kendall. You know, Jeremy Strong, fabulous actor, a short king. Yeah, and Nicholas Brown, six foot seven. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. There's. There's like a whole, there's like a whole foot. <laughs> Logan calls him Ichabod, Ichabod Crane at one point as well. I love it. And I guess yeah. the only uh, Roy sibling that we haven't spoken about is Connor Roy. Connor Roy, yeah. Uh, How is this campaign going? Make America Great Again, Connor Roy. <laughs> yeah, who, who, you know, this ridiculous notion of him wanting to be president that everyone in the family kind of laughs at and just mm. thinks, whatever, Connor, get on with your weird little hobby, fine. Everyone sort of ignores it um, until he starts doing things that are kind of embarrassing and shaming the family, right? Like his video about, I'm not going to pay taxes, arrest oh, yeah. me if you want, you know, it's kind of stupid. Cattle little... taxes, <laughs> says the millionaire. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And then the, the, he starts getting this like, niche following of people that call themselves the conheads right as well and yes he, and he is. becomes a meme at yes. the hearings yes yes when yes. he does it all fuck yeah 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 and he's like i'm a gif i'm a gif <laughs> and um, you know he also notably funds willa's broadway play sands i know i love this good for willa she's 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 using what she can to her advantage and he's basically pumping a lot of money by the sounds of it into willa directing her own broadway show which by the sounds of it is a complete disaster doesn't Mm -hmm. go well not good reviews and connor ends up in a place by the end of the season where he's spunked a load of money on willa's failure of a play and his failure of a campaign and his failure of a campaign and he's having to beg his dad for a few tens of million or something right imagine if you were a child and you were asking your parents for pocket money but pocket money was like half a million yeah and you're a grown-ass man and he's <laughs> i'm assuming 40s or 50s right um yeah hilarious and and logan is like look I'll give you money if you stop this ridiculous campaign. You're embarrassing the family kind of thing. So poor Connor, in his own little niche storyline, doesn't end up in a good place by the end of season two either, really, does he? No, he does even try to offer himself as a sacrifice at the end on the yard when he's, you know, I'm... I'm the evil genius that's been manipulating everything. That's that's something that you could sell to the press. It would play, and the stunned silence of everyone around there. It's like, thanks, Con. We'll bear it in mind. Yeah, it's very. Thank you for your email. Thank you for your email. I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Connor, bless him. He remains the sort of comic relief not really having a huge impact on anything no. going on in the main story in this season, um, but. Always a joy to watch, I think. Him and Willa, they're very fun. They are very fun. It, it's called, It's also kind of a testament to the absolute goofiness that can run amok when you have unlimited resources. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. Because, you know, as much as this is this dark commentary on, on these kind of wealthy, powerful dynasties and how much they can ruin lives and destroy people... It, Connor is the element of the show that is laughing at the ridiculousness of these rich people as well, right? He is a cartoon character, and I'm sure there are a lot of people <laughs> that are like Connor Roy, right? They just they absolutely do not live in the real world, you know? Like a lesser version of Succession would just be every single one of the Roys is a version of Connor. Yes. And they're sort of 
you know, everyone else is sort of funny and playing along and, and going going along with their whims. But like Shiv says to Connor, he's hired serious Washington, D.C. guys to run his campaign. And he is a puppet. He's literally just a, an ATM for them. Mm-hmm. There is no care. There's no seriousness about him. He can he just does things without any thinking, but he can also afford the best of everything, which kind of makes it even more ridiculous. It just means that everyone is just using him for the money including Willa you know their relationship is now something deeper but we should expect that he's still paying her for her time so she's essentially a, a hired girlfriend yeah yeah, completely, completely. And, you know, poor Willa. I sort of wanted Willa's play to be really good. I wanted it to be that she's actually this really talented director who maybe becomes something from, you know, but by the sounds of it, that's not the case, right? Yeah, it's not the case no. from the reviews. And this then her, her throwing a tantrum and throwing the iPad into the sea at the end of that episode. Very relatable <laughs> for anyone who puts any work out there. You know yes. this, Mike. Yes. Who gets reviews from yeah. people online. Absolutely. Five if- stars only for this podcast, please. please. Where I will throw my iPad into the sea. And by sea, I mean the River Thames or out my window. Yes, please. We can't afford more iPads and laptops. So if you could just not leave us one-star reviews, that would be great. Um, yeah, it's it's like phenomenal season, such a phenomenal cast. And we should mention, you know, we've talked about Raya and, and Nan, these new characters, but the performances, right? I mean, Holly Hunter. Oh, Couldn't you just listen to her voice all day, every day as well? I think she she should just, I mean, she's much better than this, but why isn't she doing a podcast? Why isn't she in my ears all the time? She's got this beautiful kind of raspy voice. Yeah. And she's always had this and she's she's giving me sort of broadcast news vibes, yeah, but a grown up exactly. broadcast news. Like, yeah. you know, I've made it to the very top of the media industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is always incredible. And her, you know, she has this thing as Rhea where she's incredibly perceptive and smart and is always maneuvering. And Nan accuses her when she fires her in that parking lot, mm. in that confrontation. You know, you're not looking after the Pierce family interest. You're looking after Rhea Jarrell only. And while our interests align, that is fine. But they don't anymore. Which, good. You know, I think everybody knows that she knows this. Mm-hmm. But she's also incredibly... Um, competent yes you know arguable potentially to a degree because she does show her hand a bit too much with how much she's aligning aligning with logan roy on Mm. the cell of the pierce company but she also has this ease you know she's very socially competent you know she'll butterfly her way from one person and talking about a deal and then another one's like oh we must have drinks oh why is there not a martini in her hands you know she has this thing and then she will see through people mm. in one in one scene she literally explains the every single roy child to logan roy we've had some private polling on potential next ceos who play well i'd value your thoughts on the kids who's got it oh, I, I could do with a clear eye as a good okay well she thinks she's smarter than she is Roman could actually be good, but, um, but nowhere near right now. Kendall's, I don't know. It's like you put him in a big diaper and now he can shit himself whenever he likes. Uh, He has all the shots, but he doesn't know when to play them. I, I don't know. 
Oh, it's perfect, isn't it? Yeah. And she does it in a way that doesn't actually sound like she's being rude or nasty or... or she's not. She says it in a very clever, manipulative yes. way. She is almost a bit of a Lady Macbeth figure to Logan mm-hmm. in this season, isn't she? And she she gets everything right. She gets everything right, basically. Like, she is doing and saying all the right things, where in the space of, like, however many episodes, however many weeks in this programme that is from being somebody that Logan has never met to being his new CEO. That's something the kids have never managed in the, all of these years, right? And then she turns it down and ditches him. You know, she she's the real winner of season two, in a way. The way that she is slippery, though, ends yeah. up being her downfall. Yes. The way yes. that she essentially pretends to be whatever she needs to be for that person that she's talking with. Mm. And it goes down to little things, you know, like she pretends to be a drinker. She's not a drinker, yeah. but she pretends to um, sip whiskey in front of Logan because that's a big thing for him. Yes. It's like a very, you know, we share a man's drink that's you know, when right. we're doing men's business. That's right. And she plays along with it. And then Shiv, again, one of the very few smart moves she does this season is she casually lets out these things, you know, mm. like, oh, Ray, you're not really a drinker, right? So you don't want this. Yeah. And it's like it starts chipping away at the image of Rhea in Logan's eyes. She mm-hmm. does eventually get the upper hand because she leaves him. Mm. But still, there's these. You're, she's showing her hand and how she weasels her way totally. into people's confidence. Totally. Um, and then Nan Pierce as well, played by the amazing Cherry Jones, who actually won an Emmy for her brief turn in this in this season as well. Oh but my god, she's brilliant as well because she has she has that kind of Logan Roy sort of gravitas and power and authority, right? Um, and in her, I kind of wanted to see more of her in a way, you know. I think there was just enough of her because you know what? She's Logan Roy. All that, all that bullishness mm-hmm. with a heavy dose of pretension. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so and funny. That's what she's so good at, and this like bleeding hard bullshit that she does throughout the season, and it's so visible as well in the way that she talks to people, especially to people who are working for her. Oh my god, yeah. And how she did not want to wear a lanyard in Argestes as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very anti lanyard. And she does a thing as like, oh, the prices are just absolutely criminal. It's like. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you literally own the news. What are you on about? Well, your old money. Shut your face. Well, I love it because this pro. Yeah, no one is safe in this program from satire. Like these people that are the quote unquote liberal news network mm-hmm. and the kind of like supposed to be sl- somehow more sort of moral and liberal, f- like you know, dynasty, are just as ridiculous, just as monstrous, ju- even more, way more pretentious than the Roy's. You know that so that incredible um, episode in the Pierce household where, you know, they start dinner by sort of quoting some Shakespeare and, and there's the guy that's got two PhDs and you just see all of the all of the Roy family just like rolling their eyes trying to be sort of polite but they yeah. can't fucking stand these people you know it's brilliant I have to say uh, it's probably not a good thing to feel feel like it's a relatable scene but the one relatable scene in this entire season is when Shiv mocks the dude with the two PhDs he's like oh how good for you it took you 10 years to find out something that I can find in 12 seconds on Wikipedia yes I think I may have drunkly said that to someone oh it's perfect <laughs> but it's so true and like yes that joke does not go down well does it it's so funny and doesn't not she get told double, off not with a double PhD <laughs> It's so not good. The double D's. It's Jesus. so good. That's the thing. Like both families 
are sort of grotesque in their own unique yes. ways. And there are so moments right. when you kind of go, yeah, fair play when the when the Roy family are mocking this other family mm-hmm. and vice versa as well, yeah. right? And it's and I think that's what makes this season for me so smart and interesting is seeing these new dynamics come into play with these new characters, you know? Well, it's the dynamics of money, right? Because the Pierces are old money. Yeah. And the Roy's are new money. Yeah. They, they've only really been this rich for one generation because yeah. Logan's the one who started all and made all this fortune. Yes. And as and we the, discussed in season one, Ro- Logan kind of hates this kind of old money yes. pretension, doesn't he? He hates exactly. inherited wealth, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because they're they're talking about values yeah. and duty and, you know, and art and culture and, and, you know, responsibilities. And he's like, no, money wins. This <laughs> yeah. is his big thing. He's like, if I write a big enough check, I can buy you. Mm-hmm. And none of your conceptual bullshit will actually stand up to my big fat check yes yes and he kind of he wins and he doesn't he wins Mm. for a bit which gives him so much so much smugness (laughs) but then when he eventually loses that's when that's when he's really in trouble yeah yeah, it's really it's really interesting the ups and downs of the way that's played because there's one episode where it ends looking like Logan has won, right? Yeah. Money wins, he's bought them, they've agreed to it, and then everything falls apart the following week. The um, last moment. It's just incredible stuff. And maybe we should Yeah, sorry, go on. And even the last thing I want to mention about this is I know we've spoken about Kendall, but perhaps this is a good segue to speak about the ending. Yes. The last two minutes of the season which completely up and everything but even Kendall when they're so close to signing the deal in our in our Jesse's he just he makes the same idiotic moves that he made in season one which he just goes up to Stewie it's like uh, I'm, I need to tell you something about a deal that's currently in progress and Stewie's like no don't say anything <laughs> he's like okay I'm gonna tell you we're really close to closing this deal and like you shouldn't you shouldn't do the bear hug because you're gonna be out it's not closed why are you talking to your enemy why are you talking to your enemy who you personally fucked over uh, yeah. me a mom- months before Kendall you're my number one boy, but why are you so fucking stupid? So stupid. He's Again, he's just trying to be the cooler, bigger kid in the playground with Stewie every time. And Stewie's like, what? And Stewie ha- is so much smarter. Yeah. And everything Stewie says is basically honest and upfront, really. He's and so upfront about who he is. He's a, he's like a capitalist asshole. Yeah. He's like, I just want the money. I just want the money. And even in that final plea, you know, with, with Stewie uh, in Greece and the final episode, he's like, look, it just comes down to what is going to be more successful, what is going to be, you know, what is going to win out for us. It's nothing personal. Like, this is all it comes down to, basically. Like, And he's just completely honest, as he is the whole time, about, like you said, the fact that he's a capitalist dickhead. And Kendall and, and Logan constantly trying to play these games, and he's just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like Got hot no air. Time for that. He's like, oh yeah, you can, tell me you, you can tell me to fuck off as many times as you want. I'm still not going to go for this deal. <laughs> yeah. Like, all of this is for nothing. Like, yeah, sure, wind yourself up telling me you're going to, like do this and do that to me it does not matter because I'm not signing the deal is not going through and this is the thing that that absolutely kills Logan over and over again it happens with Raya it happens with Nan like when people just up front say no and Logan's like okay name your price and they're like no no it's just no there's nothing you can barter with me on this you know Mm -hmm. and Logan absolutely can't bear that can he and he is rejected time and time again you know throughout the season for that reason um and yeah, of course, everything comes to a head. So he's, throughout season two, he's tried to purchase PGM. That's failed. The court hearings have gone bad. 
everything is coming up against him and so finally he decides the 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 big last resort is we need a blood sacrifice he needs a member of his own family or his own close-knit company to throw to the lions and be the face of this scandal Mm -hmm. and basically go to prison and that's when we get this whole final episode on a yacht where they have to decide who is going to go to prison right for this for the roy family what an episode right and then what an ending where eventually they come to the decision that it has to be kendall don't they who is the sort of public face of 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 the company in terms of his kids and who took over and who was supposed to take over who was in charge at the time maybe when some of this stuff started leaking um and then we get that brilliant final twist when kendall is about to uh take responsibility and go to prison but instead changes his mind and instead he throws his dad logan roy to the lions Mm. he tells the press that he is a malignant presence there's absolutely no way that he wouldn't have known or signed off on personally on the millions of dollars of hush money that was paid out to victims of the cruiser scandal Mm -hmm. i have been asked to explain my own role in the managing of illegality at the firm and associated cover-ups And it has been suggested I would be a suitable figure to absorb the anger and concern. The truth is that my father is a malignant presence, a bully and a liar. And he was fully personally aware of these events for many years and made efforts to hide and cover up. He had a twisted sense of loyalty to bad actors like Lester McClintock. Fuck me. Disregard for the safety of migrant workers, non-union and union workers, and for vulnerable performers and guests. My father keeps a watchful eye over every inch of his whole empire. And the notion that he would have allowed millions of dollars in settlements and compensation to be paid without his explicit approval is utterly fanciful. He, in that scene, proves that he is a killer. Yeah. yeah. Because in that previous scene, when, you know, he's he accepts his fate as the as the head that needs to roll on behalf of Waystar Roko, but he also asks his dad, honestly, with no, with no more games left to play, it's like, was, was it ever going to be Kendall? Was it ever going to be me that's going to take over Waystar? And Logan is honest. He's like, you know what? No, you're not a killer and you have to be a killer. And I want to talk specifically, and there's been so many think pieces written about the final shot of season of two. Of Logan's reactions, you mean? Yes, yes, which is a close-up of Logan's face as this is all just unfolded. Shit is hitting the fan everywhere. Carolina, the pre-R director, is freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. And Logan just has this little hint of a smile on his face. So and good. then it ends. I love it so much. And we talked about this in season one, how, you know, we know the ins and outs of the kids and what they're thinking. And we get a bit more insight into this with Logan in season two, but Logan still remains this quite enigmatic character. He's still a mystery at times where you don't know whether he's genuinely in trouble or whether he's planning stuff. And again, 
Is this, was he impressed by this? Like, what do you think Logan is thinking? Was this Logan's plan all along? Is it that Kendall has surprised him and he likes that? Is that a smile that is more of an angry, I'm going to fucking take you down smile? Like, what is, what is Logan thinking? So I think he definitely didn't know because he would have to know about Greg making copies. Yes. Not just salvaging documents from the cruiser's cleanup, but also keeping some copies from the ones that he destroyed with Tom in yeah. this season. So he was he was doubly uh, hoarding secret documents. He doesn't know about that. No, he I agree. He doesn't and also, know that Greg do- told Kendall about that. No, exactly. And I agree because also it, w- it, would, it will kind of, it would take away from the final scene that Kendall and Logan have together too when mm-hmm. they're on their own and he mm-hmm. tells him he's not a killer and all that. It's like, well, if they were planning it together, we we wouldn't have seen that scene play yeah. out in that way, you know. And also, I think there's the other thing. I think Kendall was absolutely going to uh, sacrifice himself. But then Logan let slip the inner NIRP, no real person involved. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Line, which, uh, what, which what confirms. What a chilling line. <laughs> because in previous scenes, he had already said, there's like, oh, well, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. What yeah. the fuck is this? I don't read my emails, whatever. I mean, same. But um, <laughs> he lets slip this thing, which confirms for Kendall very directly that he knew exactly what was happening. He even knew the way that they dismissed mm. the victims of the scandal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that perhaps solidifies for Ken to do this on the plane because he's on the plane with Greg yes and he gets those documents so I think it's a very spur of the moment decision for Kendall who is a rash person anyway (laughs) he really is yeah he is and it is one final attempt I think to show his dad that maybe he is a killer so I think that's what the smile is about it's oh he is a killer yeah and it's sort of pride and it's also that I'm gonna ready I'm getting ready to fuck you up like you've never heard he's gonna go full beast well also he destroyed his son's spirit to the point where i think kendall had nothing left to lose literally what did he have to lose he's like well i'm going to prison potentially anyway um for multiple things potentially so yeah what i might as well like you say make one last ditch attempt to to claw this back and maybe i do think there's a bit of kendall who thinks he's doing the right thing I think is that thing again of like these kids think a lot of themselves and I think sometimes Kendall likes to think he's slightly more moral than his dad as oh, well yeah. which is yeah. interesting you yeah. know um, yeah what an incredible finale probably Absolutely one incredible. of the best television episodes and series finales that I've ever seen in my life and the whole season and I, I want to finish by just asking you a bit about your favorite episodes or moments because again this is something I, I bang on about this a lot with television is that like recently I've started to get a little bit I've, I've started to get a little bit bored with kind of television that is is so serialized you know you you watch a Netflix show these days and it's like 10 it's like a 10 hour movie rather than 10 episodes of television and um, I know this is something we've talked about together in the past and when we've discussed stuff like X-Files I miss kind of episodic television where you have an episode of TV that has a beginning middle and end you know that is doing something in in and of itself and what I love about season two is that like we said at the beginning each episode feels like this brilliant perfectly constructed little play almost you know Mm -hmm. Um, so many awkward dinner parties I love an awkward dinner party and uh, all of these episodes you know whether it is Hungry the hunting trip or Argestes this kind of business conference that they go to or the Pierce household um, Scotland where Kendall does his rap we We haven't haven't even even talked about the rap (laughs) L to L the OG, to the OG. 
that's one of the most cringeworthy moments of the show. So um, Washington, D.C., where they're on the court hearings mm-hmm. or the, the yacht at the end. You know, all of them are like these brilliant little play, all in these amazing, glamorous locations. What do you think of that and in terms of the settings, the production design, the general vibe of these episodes? Well, I think it's really interesting that the season does do these sort of moves around quite a lot more. Yeah. Um, I love a chamber piece. Me too. So a lot of these episodes function like they're not so much bottleneck episodes, but they're chamber pieces. And like yeah. you say, they function like little plays within the over. They do move the season forward. Yeah. But they're never really static. But it's so great to get them all together. And especially when they're in the same room together with other people, be that the Pierces, be that Carl um, or Frank or Jerry, who yeah. are sort of these other executives or hangers on, you know, they're reacting to people outside of their bubble. Mm. That just makes for explosive television, I think. Yeah. So some of my favorite episodes have been like Turnhaven, where the awkward dinner party with the Pierces. So good. Because you're just seeing two horrible sides of the same awful coin confront each other and I have to say the yacht the the finale episode Mm. this is not for tears where not only are they on the yacht and they're that bubble that toxic little bubble of privilege and money is just it's about to burst yeah and obviously because of that that final shot that finale that finale twist all of that elevates it as a season as a whole. But even before that happens, that episode in itself would have been one of my favorites because it's both terrible, it's emotional, it's awkward, and it's absolutely fundamentally savage. It's savage. It's There's something about it that reminds me of like... Um almost like we're watching a mafia film you know there's something about you know like taking somebody out on a boat to throw them overboard mm-hmm. right and that's what it feels like it's like they're deciding who they're gonna kill on mm-hmm. this boat right and it's it's really clever it's something that i really loved um last year's house of the dragon house of the dragon yes. kind of felt like it was a bit inspired by this season of succession where every episode was just we were jumping through time to every time these family members got together succession with dragons it was yes, succession with it. dragons where there was literally bloodshed every episode mm-hmm. but this is is always metaphor- metaphorical bloodshed but it's just as tense it's just as unnerving it's just as dramatic right um i love the i love the yacht uh, episode at the end as well i also love the hunting trip yes because it's so i mean that really does give you an insight into just how fucked up and dark rich people are you know shooting the boar is a really i find a really upsetting disturbing mm-hmm. scene and then the actual humiliation and bullying of the boar on the floor sequence it's funny and it's extreme but it's so dark as well and you know? it's the unspoken self protection of those spaces yes the way that they all know to not have their phones right. the way that even Kendall like rips the phone out of Roman's hand yes. when he tries to film something yes. they know that this is fucked up and they're going to protect their their right to do fucked up shit behind closed doors and I also love the episode when they're in a sort of lockdown because there is a shooter in oh, the God, building yeah, safe as room. well <laughs> incredible so they're in safe rooms Tom is upset because he's not in the real safe room is Tom, that the Tom has a genuine meltdown and throws water bottles at Greg, but every this is the this is also the episode when Kendall is it looks like almost contemplating suicide on off the roof of the building. Everything's going on. Suddenly there's this shooter. What's happening? Then the ending that it was actually just somebody who killed themselves in a in in ATL. 
ATM, right? And the fact that everyone's sort of just like, oh, well, you know, and, and you know, it just that and that final kind of like nasty punchline where Kendall goes back up to the roof and now there are like barriers. It's devastating. <gasps> it's, it's one of the saddest moments of the season for me when even, even this, even this little moment by himself has yeah. taken away from him. Even this space he cannot have. Yes. It's just like he's trapped. He's being controlled. He has no freedom. That's a really smart, clever episode, I think, as well, that that mainly takes place in Waystar Royco, right? But yeah, I, all these little, like you said, chamber pieces are just so brilliantly done. So before we wrap up, Mike, because this is all a series about power plays, mm. who do you think ends up with the most power or the most potential for power at the end of season two? Well, I guess you could say... Kendall Roy potentially right which is a real twist because he is really at the bottom of the pile throughout 99% of this season but that final three minutes puts Kendall potentially on top although he's still in a very volatile position where you think right he's now put himself against the entire family he is still guilty of many many crimes that Mm -hmm. could come back to haunt him in season Mm -hmm. three we know that Logan has got stuff on him Mm -hmm. so you do also think has he got the upper hand possibly not if not Kendall, then maybe Roman, right? Yeah, Roman as the kind of low-key sort of player on top, potentially, right? I think you're right. I think Roman has the most potential for power because yeah. he's been just, you know, beavering around in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Kendall, at least bombastically, kind of ends up with the upper hand because mm. he's the one who's speaking to the public. Yes. You know, a lot of season two has happened behind closed doors. Very, very little of it, except that panel at Justice mm. happens in front of an audience, in front of anyone that is not the oh, Roy's yeah. Yeah. or, you know, uh, that is not in that inner sanctum. Yeah. So this is the moment where someone from the inner circle speaks to the public. It exposes them like they've never been exposed before. And that gives him a very different kind of power that they just haven't had before. No, exactly. Because they knew they were already under fire from all directions Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And actually, just FYI, I love the fact that season two is bookended by Kendall giving press, talking to press. Because in in the opening (laughs) scene of season two, he gets dragged out of rehab to go in front of the camera and just repeat verbatim basically what he's been told to say. Like this sad little puppy dog. And then, of course, a press conference at the end of the season where he takes Mm -hmm. power into his own hands. It's really clever. And, I mean, obviously, we talked about this. It's difficult to pick one quote for the whole season. But do you have any favourites from season two? I mean, I've got... It's... It's there are two Greg puns. <laughs> there are two Greg puns that stand out to me. It's negotiating this Gregsit um, is mm-hmm. absolutely one of my favourite lines. And then of course you can't break, uh, you can't make a tomlet without breaking a few Gregs. I mean, like the the Greg puns in this season for me are the ones that stand out the most. But this is a season of banger lines of absolute zingers it's, isn't there's it too many even even holly hunter saying i can't see the bottom of the pool mm. like there are some really brilliant powerful lines in this season that i absolutely love what about you i mean there's too many uh like you know eunuch besties that have a a relationship with rowan uh I, I love tom and his weird way of speaking you know when he talks uh when he's trying not to get fired he's talking to the salad he's saying king of edible leaves his majesty the spinach which is ridiculous <laughs> so good all of shiv's put downs you know some devastating ones like no one real gives a fuck that honestly all point. of the stuff oh about real people and no real people involved mm. is so chilling 
and I love the the one that you already said earlier, Logan. What does Logan say about him putting his cock in his soup or something like that? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. What the fuck was that? He just ate my chicken. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I I don't know. I think uh, it's getting to people, Dad. The tension. He ate my fucking chicken. Mm-hmm. So what next? Stick his cock into my potato salad? Uh. <laughs> well, Anna, that's it. That's it for season two of Succession, which means we're very nearly up to date. Next week, we're going to be moving on to season three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited to discuss what happens next. Is Kendall actually going to, you know, get one over on his dad and uh, and win out after that little twist ending at the end of season two? Yeah, and is Shiv going to be making smarter decisions? <laughs> And, you know, next season we'll, we'll probably talk, because we don't have time in this episode, to talk about the design of the characters, because I really want to talk about how oh. the costume and their hair makeup design have really defined the characters, particularly Shiv. Yes, that means I just want to talk for 30 minutes about the backless turtleneck dress <laughs> that she wears, but um, <laughs> also about Ken's outfits. 100%. In yeah. this season and in season three. Yeah. And the Roman's uh, douchebag chic. Oh my Style. god! I can't believe we forgot to talk about all this. So we'll, we'll cover that next week yes. for sure. Um, there was so much other stuff to cover this week. So yes, absolutely. So we'll be back to discuss season three in depth next week. In the meantime, Anna, let people know where they can find you and more of your stuff online. So you can find me on Twitter at Anna B Demented, also with the same handle on Instagram. You can listen to me talk about horror films on the Final Girls podcast. You can listen to me talk about the Scream series with Mike and our mutual friend Louise Blaine over in Hello Sydney and you can also pre-order my book Unlikable Female Characters where I talk a lot about the particular brand of a female fictional flop that Shiv Roy is <laughs> I cannot wait to read this <laughs> uh, yes and you can find me uh, and my podcast The Evolution of Horror anywhere you get your podcasts we're on Twitter at Evolution Pod as Anna already mentioned we've got a screen podcast Hello Sydney which you can find in all the places where you get your podcasts that's it for episode 2 join us next week for episode 3 of the Succession Easters. The Succession Easter. Thank you. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs>